and um, had an interesting experience, a welcome to Iron County, Cedar City experience. Does anyone know what took place yesterday? The sheep parade. It was so bad. Oh, anyway, no. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. We, as we were walking back from it, some kid had like, I don't know what he was drinking or eating. And he says, if you, go, if you go over to that little shop over there and you bat like a sheep, they'll give you free stuff. And my, my kids and my family were like, we are not doing it. And I'm like, I said, it's not that bad. You know, we can go do it. And they were like, Dad, just shut up. Please, just stop. You have to embrace the culture, right? And so we waited for those little sheep to come running by. It took a while. Um, and I think, you know, when I saw those sheep running by, I was like, you know, in my mind, I was like, God has a sense of humor because he said, we are like those creatures. And I don't know if that's much of a compliment. Are you with me? You know, when I saw him running by, you know, and uh, I was like, yeah, that's us right there. There goes the church running right by. And uh, but it took a while for him to show up, you know. Uh, so who knows what was going on. I've heard rumors, stories that sometimes they have a mind of their own and they you know, get off trail and off track. But all I remember is this lady kept coming out saying, the sheep are coming. They're going to be coming. They will be here. We promise. And they kept saying it. And uh, I didn't wear any sunscreen. I was, you know, and uh, I think I even got a little burnt standing out there. I was on the sunny side of the street, you know. Um, and so I think I got a little bit of uh, suntan, but how awesome is that? We're almost in November, and we're still getting the suntan, all right? So anyway, interesting experience. Uh, it was one of those welcome to Iron County, um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know how many of you do it, like, every year, if it's like an annual thing for you or not. Most, I know for the city it is, for the county it is. But how many of you, be honest, how many of you, you do go every year? How many of you do that? All right, a good handful. How many of you do not go every year? You done, been there, done that. All right, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, so uh, anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 5, we are the sheep of his pasture, amen? So uh, let's go to Matthew 5, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to jump right in. We're doing this Sermon on the Mount, uh, primarily look, looking at the Beatitudes, or as someone wisely called them, the Beautitudes. And uh, the attitudes of, of a blessed man is, is the theme that we're looking at, the attitudes of a blessed man. And uh, we won't spend much time reviewing, but I'd like to just uh, get to verse number 6. But if you would follow along, it says this. Now, when he, speaking of Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came uh, to him and he began to teach them, saying, and this is the introduction to that long sermon. It's about three chapters long. And he starts with, with the, what goes on in the heart, the attitude of, of a man. He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this week we would like to focus in on this, this portion of, of Scripture where the Lord Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice the promise, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd bless your word this morning. The brief time that we have, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move and work. 
in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, give me wisdom and discernment, uh, Lord, to say the things that would be pleasing to you, uh, the things that would be most helpful and beneficial. Lord, to challenge us, Lord, in this area, to be hungry and thirsty, Lord, for righteousness, to hunger and thirst after you. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would bless your word. Uh, Lord, this truly, this is your sermon. This is your message, the very words of Jesus Christ himself. And so I pray that we would really realize how important these words are. And this is what your message is for us even today. And so bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just remind you just a few things. As we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, obviously Jesus is the preacher. Um, and he makes a number of statements. We said this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we said this is the key to salvation, humility. Jesus said, except you become as a little child, uh, an infant, he said, then you cannot see the kingdom. You cannot enter into the kingdom. And so we see this poverty of spirit that we're to, to be humble. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the key to salvation. We saw this. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And that was what we call the key to serenity or peace. He says, if you're going to have peace, then there has to be times where you mourn. Uh, And then he said, blessed, last week we saw this, blessed are the meek. And we saw this was, we said, was the key to success. But I want to kind of revisit this just for a moment. Because sometimes when we think of the word success, we see it maybe the wrong way. And uh, I was really thinking about it this past week, and I kind of thought, you know, I don't really like that word a whole lot, success, because, you know, the the world sees success differently than than God does. And so I think maybe the better way of saying is this, blessed are the meek is the key, not necessarily the success, but the significance. Do you know there's a big difference between success and significance? You know, there's lots of people in this world who have lots of success, but they're doing very little that has anything to do with having impact. Does that make sense? That's significant. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, what he's saying is, is that God can use you and you can have significance. You can have impact. And then I want you to notice this week, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness or for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the key to the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I want this to really sink in, all right? And that is this, that the, the, the Word of God and the things of God are practical, not mystical. You guys got that? That is very true, brother. Thank you. Because so many times, for, okay, let, let's just get right to the chase. If we're to start talking about the filling of the Spirit, can I tell you something? All of a sudden, when you start talking about being filled with the Spirit, people get really weird. It's okay to say amen there. They do. They get really weird. In fact, over the years, you know, I remember I was in in seminary and Bible college and going through school, you know, working with different people. And they'd find out, oh, you're going into ministry. And they'd come up to me and they'd say, are you filled with the Spirit? And I was like. And I, they said, I said, yes, I have, have, I have the spirit. Then do you speak in tongues? I'm not trying to be mean here, but I was like, wow, I don't know you. You asked me if I'm filled with the spirit because I said I'm a believer. And immediately you start wanting to know if I speak in, in languages and tongues. Wow, how did we get from that to that in under 20 seconds? Come on now. 
It blows my mind. Now, I'm not here to debate and to get into all of that today, but let me just say this. In the book of Acts, it says that they were filled with the Spirit. One of the very first times it said was that they were filled with the Spirit. You know what it said? That when they were filled with the Spirit, that they had boldness and courage to preach the good news. That should be the emphasis of being filled with the Spirit, not showing off or not trying to tell someone, I'm going to one-up you because I have some gift that you don't have. Now, somebody say amen there. And so I'm not here to debate and argue all of that, but what I really want to emphasize is this, is that the Christian life is, is practical, not mystical. And so many times when we speak of this subject, the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit or having the Holy Spirit, what we do is we immediately start getting into all this weird stuff. And, uh, you know, for example, I grew up, uh, uh, you know, growing up in church. And I remember uh, a, a pastor preached a sermon. He was a very famous preacher. He's been long past. But he preached a sermon on a fresh anointing. And it was, I mean, he traveled the country preaching this sermon on the fresh anointing. You know what it was all about? It was how he went and he laid on his father's grave. And he prayed through the night. And he prayed for a fresh anointing. And as he laid on his father's grave, and as he prayed there, and he spent like 24 hours laying on this grave that all of a sudden the spirit came upon him and he became this supernatural, if you will, anointed preacher. And now he's now the one who's going to preach the country. You know, can I tell you something? Show me that in the Bible. That you have to now go out and lay on somebody's grave and pray so that you can get this. And now, because he did that, and guess what people started doing? They started going and laying on graves and praying for them to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a lot of sensationalism. When we speak of the Holy Spirit, it becomes sensationalism. I remember an evangelist used to come to our church when I was in Missouri, and he would, he would always preach the same sermon every year. And you talk about, and, and here's the thing, and I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be hateful. But after a while, I was like, I'm not having this guy back. Because he got up and he would preach on the Holy Spirit. And the first year he preached it, I was like, wow. And he didn't realize that he had preached it the year before. And he came and he preached the same sermon he said this morning. And it was word for word. The same thing that he said the year before. And he, he said, this morning in the wee hours of the morning, as I was praying, the room was aglow with the Spirit of God. It glowed. I don't know about you. I've never had the room glow yet. I mean, not, not when I've prayed. Have you? Let's just be honest. Has the room glowed? Other than maybe the sun coming through the window. The room was aglow with the Spirit of God. And I could sense His presence. And what he didn't realize is he preached the same sermon exactly one year before when he came to our church. And I thought, this is just a story that you're telling to try to tell people that you have something that we don't have. Come on now. And somehow you've got it. And now we all have to feel bad because when we pray in the morning, the room doesn't glow. I can barely open my eyes when I pray in the morning. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> oh, God, please just help me to get through another day. My room doesn't glow. I'm a little jealous, you know. 
And you say, Pastor Joe, why are you spending so much time on this? Because the Christian life, listen to me, it is, it is more practical than it is mystical. In fact, it's very little mystical. Jesus said, here, think, think about this now. Jesus said, let me, these are the words of Jesus. I can't overemphasize this. This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, here is the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus says, this is the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think we ought to listen to him a lot more than anything else. Come on now. And you want to know something? He doesn't say anything about prayer languages. He doesn't say anything about tongues. He doesn't say anything about laying on someone's grave and praying until the Spirit of God gives you some new anointing. He doesn't speak any of that. In fact, he preaches and he says something that most people want nothing to do with, and that is this. Live a holy life. Hunger and thirst to live right. You know what blows my mind? I've been in Christianity and churches and every kind of churches you can imagine. I remember one time I went to this revival. I was doing inner city work. And I walked in this church where they were having a revival, supposedly. It was this revival. And that the Holy Spirit was going to be brought into this place. And all I can remember is seeing a lot of people that I knew from the community that I had no clue even knew Jesus. I was like, I can't believe. And I was not that I was judging. I was like, I can't believe this person's here on a Friday night revival. I didn't even know that they knew Jesus. I don't think Jesus knew that he knew them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this guy gets up and he starts preaching. And he never even, he, he opened his Bible, the Old Testament, and he talked about, he said something about Elijah. And this was the whole sermon. He says, in the fire of Elijah. In the fire of Elijah. In the fire of Elijah. And all of a sudden, someone started playing the organ. In the fire of Elijah. And then some drums. And all of a sudden, people started standing up. And people started stomping. The room started shaking. And for 30 minutes, all you heard was the fire of Elijah. And people all of a sudden were getting filled with the Spirit. But you want to know something? The same people I saw on Friday night getting filled with the Spirit were out living like the devil on Saturday and Sunday and Monday, and no life change in their life. There was no fire of Elijah that came into that room. I'm sorry. That was just somebody hooping and hollering and getting people worked up. Come on. Shouldn't be emotional. Sensational. The Spirit is a Holy Spirit of God that comes and dwells within believers. So we really got to get moving here. But Jesus said, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Listen to this. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for holiness. Look at Psalm 42, 1 and 2. David says this. He says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? David was hungry and thirsty for God himself. Oh, may God forgive us. The key to the filling of the Spirit, can I, let me just drive this point home. When you see David, he hungers and thirsts for God. You know what is so sad? My son, 
who, who's now moved here, lives here, was involved in college ministries. And, and then they had some really good things going. And all of a sudden, people started getting distracted with all of this other stuff. Tongues and, and, and being filled with the Spirit. And who's really filled and who's not. And all of these things. And you know what? Can I just say this? That so many times people are, they want, think about this. They want the Spirit of the Holy Spirit so they can do these things so that they get the glory and God gets little or no glory. Look what I can do. Growing up and hearing this pastor preach this sermon about being anointed and having the Holy Spirit, can I tell you what it was? It was this. It was about basically, look how much God can use me. Have you ever considered this? Really think about this. The motive for why most people want to be filled with the Spirit. Can I tell you something? Our motives will determine a lot about our attitude. Are you with me? What is my motive? Why do I want to be filled with the Spirit? So that I can put on a show? So that I can be used and have impact? Now, don't get me wrong. We, sh- we should want to be used by God, but please follow me. Should not the anointing of the Spirit be the ultimate desire to just love and to know God and to thirst for Him and to know Him and to love Him in an intimate way? Somebody please say amen. amen. What is the purpose? What is the motive? Why do I want this anointing, if you will? They call it an anointing or whatever that is, whatever that looks like. But why do we want it? Should it not be for our desire to just simply to thirst for God? David said, I thirst for God. I hunger and I thirst and I, God, I just want to know you more. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Before I read this, let me mention this. Why do so few people have a hunger and thirst for God? Why do so few people have a hunger and thirst to truly know God and to worship God and to to have an intimacy with God? Why is it that During a pandemic, the church has nearly dwindled in half. Am I making this up or is this about about the truth? Some of you, it's the truth. Why has the church, I say the church, I'm not saying this, I'm saying the church, the body of Christ has completely diminished, dwindled. It's about half of what it was, half the impact of what we've had. Why is that? Remember we said that the Christian life is practical, not mystical. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. And we're going to talk in broad sense. If the church is no longer hungry and thirsty for God, we have to ask this question. Why is the church no longer hungry and thirsty for God? And I think there's a few few things we can look at. They're very practical. Ephesians 5 tells us something. Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said that the, he, he felt the majority, he was pretty harsh. He read some of his writings, and Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. But he said the, he felt the majority of church attenders 
are not even true believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that they are spiritually dead. Can I say, say something? This is just blunt, straightforward. But listen, something that's dead has no appetite. Correct? Something that's dead has no appetite. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. A person who's dead has no hunger. We're talking in a practical sense. They're not, they don't get physically hungry. They don't get physically thirsty. I mean, my, I could go really inappropriate here. But the fact of the matter is, folks, listen. Just recently I was at the funeral home and prayed with a family and a person who had, who had died and has already been dead three or four days. And I'm not trying to be mean here, but after they're dead three or four days, you, I've never yet. And I've been pastoring now for 22, 23 years. And I've never yet at a funeral, and I'm not trying to be unkind here. Can I just give me, can I have a little bit of liberty here? I've never had someone say, oh, he looks so thirsty or she looks so thirsty. Let me give her a drink. I've never had one sit up and say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be insensitive. Am I right? Are you with me? So listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, As for you... This is talking about past tense. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Notice what we did, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, notices he made us what? Say it with me. Alive with Christ. Even when we were, say the next word with me, dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. He then, he says, you've been saved by grace. We understand that. But did you catch those couple words? He says, you were once spiritually dead, but because of the supernatural work of the Spirit of God, by God's grace, he said, you were made alive. Jesus called it in John 3, being what? Born again. Spiritually born again. Do you want to know something? You know why I believe that a lot of the church that we say has no longer has a hunger and thirst for God. You know why the church has basically almost been cut in half? Because most of, a lot of the church is spiritually dead. They've never been made alive. They have religion. They were born into it. And they show up to church. But they've never had life that comes through the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? And so there's not a hunger and a thirst because there's no truth, there's no life there. Something that's dead is not gonna will not be hungry, will not be thirsty. But once it becomes alive, Paul says to that church at Ephesus, he says, now, he says, you used to have these cravings for these other things and these urges and, and you were fulfilling those things, but now you've been made alive in Christ. And when you're made alive in Christ, you're going you're gonna to be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. 
Peter says it like this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Peter uses the analogy of a newborn baby. You know something? We've had four kids. And when we brought those kids home, in the middle of the night, you'd hear, wah, 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 interpreted. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Then they become teenagers. It's not why. It's what's for dinner. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. What's in the fridge? Where's the food? Because when they're, they're hungry, they're thirsty. A newborn baby. Now listen. There's something wrong with a follower of Christ who has no hunger or thirst for the things of God. Psalm 34, 8 says this. This is my life's verse. I didn't put it on the screen, but Psalm 34, 8. It's real simple. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that God is good. My first sermon I ever preached was my life for Psalm 34, 8. I was about maybe 18 years old. And I thought... Okay, it's my first sermon. I was so nervous. And I'm going to preach on my life first. Oh, taste and see that God is good. And by the way, God is good. Amen. Amen. Just taste and see that he is good. And I love that verse. And I said, I'm going to preach that verse. And so I was in Pennsylvania in our little church there. And um, donuts are huge up there. And I had a donut in front of the church. And I took this donut. It was a Bavarian creamed donut. It's so good with chocolate on top. Oh, it's so good. And I picked it up, and I, before the sermon started, and I took a bite, and I said, doesn't that look so good? And I set it right there where everyone can see it. And I ate it in front of him, and I said, oh, taste and see that that donut is so good. And then I preached on that passage. Well, little did I know I had chocolate and all kinds of stuff. And my mother was sitting there watching me, and she's like, and I was like, you got a twitch, woman. What's wrong with you? And she's like, I preached that whole sermon. I had chocolate and like just drool off the side of my face. And I preached, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, you know. But if you, listen, if you're alive in Christ, you should have a spiritual desire. Peter said that if you are a newborn babe in Christ, immediately there's going to be a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. Are you with me? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me just pause for a moment. This is another little free one. You ready? Probably some people didn't like some of the things I said last week about how everyone is living in fear and sitting at home and not going to church and, and things. Can I give you, can I just give you a little, uh, let me just give you a little statement. When you're dealing with kids and you're trying to get them, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, Right. Can I tell you something? The odds of it drinking, if you bring it to the water, are much higher than if you never bring it to the water at all. <laughs> you know what I, I fear? Not only fear. This isn't a fear. This is a fact. You ready? 
Can you guys handle this? This week, after that was said, some people said, hey, did you see the statistics? And it had like these unbelievable statistics. How a great majority of people polled, Christians, the Pew poll, says that they're getting as much or more sitting at home, not going to church. Now, I know there's people watching online. If it's because of your health, we understand that. I'm not trying to be mean or abrasive or hurtful. But here's the thing that people are missing, the big picture. Here's the big picture. That is geared for mom and dad. How many of those kids are sitting there watching right now? How many of your kids are listening right now as you're watching this? I'm going to tell you what I know and what I've experienced. Because when we were set down in Arizona for a while and we did some pre-airing and we put it on, you want to know something? Do you think my kids sat there and watched even their own dad preach? Mm Mm-mm. Here's the problem. This generation that we have now, the kids, our future, they're not in church. The majority of them are not going to church. And mom and dad are just fine sitting at home. And you want to know something? The kids are not getting anything. And we're going, listen to me, a generation from now, there will be no more church in America. Are you guys listening? Am I right there? They're not even going to know. We're almost there. They're not even going to know what church was, what it is. They're not even going to be introduced. You know how you get kids to try foods? You put it out there and you, you, you introduce it to them. And you say, try this and try that. And they don't know what they're missing until you show. What's really sad is this, there's a whole generation of young people who've never even experienced church like you and I have experienced it. That's scary. Are you with me? And sometimes people might say, well, Pastor Joe, you know, you're, boy, what, you know, no, it's because I care. I care, and I know that, listen, that right now, people who watch and hear these things, the kids are not getting that. And that's why we have children's church, so that they're down there, and they're getting taught, and they're being encouraged, and they're hanging out. And you want to know something? Kids need fellowship as much as mom and dad need fellowship. It's important to him. By the way, some of you are here, let's just be honest. And some of you over the years, sometimes you didn't feel like going to church. And you know why you went? Because your kids said, I want to go to church. Come on now. And so you took them. And you, were, you would have stayed in bed, but they wanted to go to church. They want to go see their friends. By the way, that's the way God intended it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. Why do many believers not have, or so-called believers not have a spiritual appetite. We said it's, it's practical, not mystical. One is many, I believe, who call themselves Christians are spiritually dead. They need to fall in love with Jesus Christ and they need to be born again. Seriously. Here's another reason. Just briefly. We're filled with too much junk food. It's It's Halloween. The kids start eating all the candy, right? And they start eating that candy. And then it's dinner time. I'm not hungry. And then when they say, you spoiled your dinner. You spoiled your dinner because you're eating all this junk food. You want to know something? There's some truth to that, right? You know why a lot of Christians have lost their hunger and thirst for God? And there's no longer the spiritual craving because we have literally filled our lives with the junk food of this world. And we're spoiling our appetite for the things of God. <laughs> I'm going to step on toes. Ooh. 
It amazes me how many Christians cannot come to church or go to church, but they can still go to Costco. They can still go to Walmart. They can still go to other gatherings and hang out and do all those things, but not fellowship with God's people. I'm sorry, folks. (laughs) That's a heart condition. That's a heart condition. Are there some who need to? Absolutely. But that is not, listen to me, the statistics are the number, you want to know something that blows my mind? It's the younger generation. The younger generation that's staying home, not participating in the church and the work of God, not the older folks. The ones who you would think would be the ones. Are you with me? But they're still doing everything else and living a normal life and doing all these other things. But the spiritual, that's okay. It is revealing. I really think that this, whatever you want to call it, you know what I believe it is? All it does is it reveals the heart condition of, and I'm using the broad term, the church. The church. Are you with me? It's revealing the heart condition of the church. Everything else is more important. We can still do all these other things, but... The things of God are not important. We filled our appetites with the things of this world. We've spoiled our appetites. Here's another reason. And then we're almost finished, I promise. If you're not alive... You're probably not going to be hungry or thirsty, right? If you're spoiling your appetite with junk food, you're not going to be hungry or thirsty. You ready for this one? How do you keep an active metabolism? How do you get your body to just be like, I'm, for example, Youth and teenagers. Why are they hungry all the time? Typically, because their metabolisms are going at a high rate, right? Do you know why the church has lost its hunger and thirst for God? It's because the church has become lazy and lethargic, and all the church is doing is sitting around on its blessed assurance eating potato chips. (laughs) You know what I found? If If you were active... And, you're, and you are participating, and you're, you're active, and you're moving, guess what? Your body says, I need food. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to be kind here. <laughs> the more active you are, the more hungry you get. And the more, you know, and, and you can burn more calories, right? Are you with me? By the way, people say, Pastor Joe, why do you work out? I work out. I'm just going to be totally blunt here because I like to eat straight up. You know what? I had a big, huge bowl of cookies and cream ice cream last night. You know what? It was good, too, by the way. It was very good. And I have some mint chocolate chip in the freezer. And you say, well, you shouldn't eat like that. Well, that's not your business. Quit meddling, all right? That's my business. (laughs) Only pastors can do the meddling, all right? But I'm going to tell you straight up. Sometimes people are like, they're like, oh, you you know, you're just into it for vanity. Absolutely not. That has nothing to do with vanity. It has everything to do with, I like junk food. I like sweets. 
I was at wrestling practice, and I, oh, it's preseason. We start this week, so it, it's going to get real now. And by the way, wrestlers, I mean, they're working out a couple of times a day. You can't feed them enough, you know? And they're always hungry, and they want more food. But I pulled out of my, ba- I pulled out of my bag. I should start eating Mike and Ikes. I have a whole bag full of Mike and Ikes. I, I, I'm like a hummingbird. I need sugar about every 15 minutes, you know? And I'm just, I'm like, eating. And they're like, that's not good for you. I'm like, mind your own business, son. Stay out of my business. I like it. I said, I'm going to work it off. I'm going to work it off. You know what I have found? I'm starting to get older. My metabolism has slowed down. But if I stay active and I stay busy, I can pretty much eat just about anything I want to eat. The other night, straight up, this is the honest truth. My wife said, we're going to do pizza. And I'm like, great, pizza. I ate almost the whole thing. I left like one or two pieces for my daughter. I ate a whole pizza. <laughs> then put it down with some, with some uh, cookies and cream ice cream. But you want to know something? If we sit around and we do absolutely nothing, when we eat that cookies and cream ice cream, it settles in all the wrong places. Right? You want to know something? If a church is active, seeking to do the kingdom work, can I say this? There will be a hunger and a thirst for God. You know what gets churches in trouble? What gets churches in trouble is when we become so internally focused and we say, what does this church have to offer me? We should offer things, but what does the church have to offer me? And what, you know, what do you have for me? And what programs and, and all of these? And I'm not against those things, but just bear with me now. But if all we do is we become internally focused, and, and here's the thing. I'm sorry, guys, but this is the facts. When a church comes and they say, we, we, we just want to, you know what? We want a church where we're fed. We want to be fed. Can I tell you, the church has been fed, and the church has been fed, and the church has been fed and watered. And the church now, the church of this generation is so spiritually obese and fat that it has done absolutely nothing. And we've gotten into a pandemic, and now the church has completely shut down. First words Jesus says about the church. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what does he say? And the what? Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of what? Hell. The church is to be on the offensive Gates were a defensive position. The church is not supposed to be just holding on till Jesus comes back. No, we are to be at war. We are to be spiritually engaging the enemy. The church is not supposed to be shutting down. The church is to be charging the very gates of hell itself. Are you with me? 
We're to be soldiers of Jesus Christ and we are not on the defensive. Look at the armor of God. Look at the spiritual soldier that Paul speaks of. And guess what? When you look at his armor, it's from head to toe on the front. There is no armor for the back because we are not to be turning and retreating. We are to be the church of the living God. Amen. And we should be charging the very gates of hell itself. We are not to be shutting down and hiding and living in fear. We should be living in the power of the Spirit of God. And we should have a hunger and a thirst for God. Amen? And as we hunger and thirst for Him, here's the promise. He said, you will be filled. Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. One last verse. We have to close. We're out of time. It's a quote from Psalms 45, but look at Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. Here's the key to the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is not some mystical thing. It is practical. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. It's a quote from, write this passage down, Psalm 45, verse 7. It was a prophetic prophecy of Jesus Christ Hebrews speaks of Jesus Christ as the, the priest, the high priest, that Jesus Christ is better. The whole book, first few chapters is Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Jesus Christ is better than Moses. Jesus Christ is better than the law. Jesus Christ is superior. Jesus Christ, he is the son of God. He is our great high priest. But notice what it says at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. It says something about Jesus. It says this, in verse 8, about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your, your kingdom. You have, notice, here's the key. Speaking of Jesus Christ, you have loved righteousness and what? Hated wickedness. Here was the promise. Notice what he says. This is what was the result. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your command, uh, companions by anointing you with the oil of joy, speaking of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 45, it says that, that he will be anointed above all the others. How is it that Jesus Christ had the filling of the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit? Obviously, he was God. But understand this. It says that Jesus was always led of the Spirit. Jesus loved righteousness and hated sin. He loved righteousness and hated sin. And the result was this. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing mystical. Pretty practical. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Obviously love God. Have a hunger and thirst for God. But love righteousness and hate sin. Love righteousness and hate sin. And the Bible says Jesus loved righteousness and hated sin. He hated iniquity. He hated it. Wanted no part with it. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. The key to the filling of the Holy Spirit is love righteousness, hate sin. That, well, that's just too simple, Pastor Joe. The problem is it's not that simple. Are you with me? It's actually, man, that's the challenge. To love right and to hate wrong. But you know what we want? We want an easy button. 
the spiritual easy button. Come on now, right? We do, well, if you want the anointing, and then you fill in the blank. No, he says, you want, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Love right, hate wrong. Love right, hate wrong. Love and fall in love with the Lord and have a hunger and a thirst for God. You have a hunger and a thirst for God. He says, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll have the Spirit dwelling within you. Let's stand together. We're going to have a word of prayer.